This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, the ghost of Sierra de Corbre. Supernaturally or otherwise, we are all haunted. Anyone who's lived in this past century, this last week, cannot escape being haunted. For some of us, it's a mass haunting, an all-pervading specter of guilt, or futility, or alienation that we suffer collectively. For others, the haunting is more private and more terrible because the ghosts are ours alone and we recognize them. Sometimes it takes so little to free ourselves of our ghosts. And if my believing in another man's haunting helps to free him, does it matter whether science calls his agony hallucinatory or real? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast being directly broadcast into crypts in case you're buried alive. I'm Luke. Here with your co-host, Jordan. What's real, Jordan? <laughs> what a horrible, horrible torture. Can you imagine being buried alive and then the only entertainment you have is this podcast? <laughs> Once a week, a new one is directly broadcast into your tomb. Actually, I take that back. If you had no other entertainment and you're just sitting in a coffin for an entire week, this would really be a pleasure. You don't think this would drive you mad? <laughs> no, I think I'd be, just, I'd be waiting for it all week. I'm like, let's see, <laughs> let's see what these dummies are talking about this week. I wonder what they're going to cover next. Yeah, I'm somehow in this scenario, I'm also not myself, because I'm still recording the podcast. <laughs> I've just replaced you with a co-host. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a couple people could probably shift in without too much trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, this week we are covering the pilot uh, slash movie suggested by Atsi Chupik on Twitter, The Ghost of Sierra de Cobre. Cobre? Cobre. I'm going to go with Cobre. Cobre, I believe. Cobre? I mean, neither of us are Spanish, so... Let's go back and forth on this all episode. The Ghost of Sierra de Cobre. Um, It was shot in 1964 and was originally produced as a pilot for a uh, proposed anthology series called The Haunted. Mm -hmm. Um, What's interesting, though, is this one was actually recently remastered and re-released on, like, 2K by Kino Lober. So that's why we're. Uh, that's why we've got it. Is we uh, took this DVD and uh, are watching like this freshly restored version of it. It looks pretty good. I mean, especially we'll talk about it. But there's two versions, obviously, of this. There's the Ghost of Sierra de, Sierra de Cobre, and uh, which is what we're going to be talking about. And then the shorter version that aired on TV called The Haunted. And the version for The Haunted has not been remastered, so it doesn't look quite as good. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting fact right now, Jordan. Mm-hmm. It was never shown on television, that pilot, or the TV movie. Is that true? I thought for some reason it was it aired in a couple places, maybe not the United States. Yeah, no, I think what you're thinking of is the the Ghost of Sierra de Cobre, the like recut movie version, was released as a feature film overseas. Ah, uh, okay. But like apparently that DVD is the first incarnation to arrive on the American shores. Um, just a fun fact I was reading about when I was reading it is the uh, that pilot that's on the dvd the 50 minute version like floated around through collectors in fact the reason it's on the dvd at all is a film historian bought it on ebay for 90 dollars. oh nicely done um and then he helped uh kino lober kind of put together this package and it's like his copy that's on the dvd so this was a cbs show Mm -hmm. and the only reason it didn't ever air is uh from what i saw was that 
it was amongst a bunch of pilots that were produced. And what happened was CBS was going through, as TV channels do, was going through a purge and all the executives were fired. So they got rid of all of the TV shows except for The Wild Wild West. That was the only show that <laughs> stayed on. All the, all the other shows, including, well, what are we called? The Haunted were, uh, were canceled. I mean, everybody knows that these big uh, studios, once a year, there's a day, a night where crime is legalized and anyone can be murdered. <laughs> That's right. So this uh, this was actually written, produced, and very abruptly directed That's by right. yeah. Joseph Stefano, a writer, or I guess adapter of Psycho. I don't think he was actually a director. He only, he only was a kind of a stand-in, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe the director who was supposed to make this ended up getting sick at the last second, so he, he had to step in and kind of take over. So really, I think one of his few, if only, directing credits. Um, but he was also a producer and co-writer of the original Outer Limits, so I guess this, like, is... That would have come out just before they were trying to make this sort of haunted, spooky anthology, so, like, it seems to fall into what he was working on at the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, uh, for someone who's not a director, uh, maybe more credit to go to the, the DOP, but... This of what I would what what I should say is I think our third of a trilogy of paranormal investigator TV movies. This is I think the most interesting style. Uh, I think the look of this is uh, I like it a lot more than some other things we've watched. Yeah, beautifully shot in black and white. Did you look into the cinematographer? I did, and I can't remember who he is now because I have to look at my notes. Do you have anything on him? Yeah, I do. It's it's Conrad Hall, who is a three time Academy Award winner. That's pretty good. He won for. Uh, what did he win for? I got it here. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm. American Beauty, and Road to Perdition. Wow. And uh, I think so, here's here's one I think you're probably a big fan of. He also shot Cool Hand Luke. Oh, I do like Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, yeah. That's a good movie, too. Yeah, I mean, this movie looks great. And I obviously, it's been restored and it's, uh, uh, you know, been lovingly put back together. But it, it looks great. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of care went into this show. It's it really stands out from some of the other things we watched because it's like you can just see how beautifully shot and lit it is. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, uh, before we get into it, Jordan, it's starring a thirty-six-year-old Martin Landau. <laughs> yeah, I I like Martin Landau. He's one of those actors who's got oh he's he's passed away now, but he had like hundreds and hundreds of credits, and it's just nothing you've ever heard of like you know every now and then there would be something obviously he won an oscar um but he just was one of those working actors with a weird face and i have a real uh i really enjoy those kind of actors i don't think i've ever seen him looking this young and he is my age basically (laughs) but he still doesn't he still look like he's 65 years old somehow i his face is his facial features are so soft i actually was surprised by what a boyish face he had at this age he's an odd choice for a lead but i i think he's very good in it well, he's very charismatic. I guess that's what got him through all that time with his uh, unusual face. <laughs> it's true. All right, Jordan. Well, this was shot and basically created in 1964. As we mentioned, it was never really released in the States and was finally released overseas. So I'm going to give this date of release as August 20th, 1967. For uh, That seems to be the Japanese release date and the only one I could find for like an exact date when it came out. Wow, that's a long time after they filmed it. That's almost three years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, once it got purged at the network, I guess they had to figure out what to do with it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so since I'm going to pinpoint that as the date it came out, here is what's happening in the world around August 20th, 1967. Okay. <laughs> On August 13th, just uh, about a week beforehand, before it comes out in Japan, the first lineup of Fleetwood Mac makes its live debut. Hmm, look at that. You're a big Fleetwood Mac fan, right? 
uh, some of their stuff's okay. I'm not really a big fan, but they're fine. <laughs> and then about nine days after that, Jordan, August 29th, the final episode of The Fugitive airs. Oh, have you ever watched The Fugitive, the TV show? Never. No, I haven't either. It's one of those ones where I kind of want to watch it, but I have a feeling I don't know how well it's aged, you know, like to watch like seven, eight seasons of of that sort of television. But I am interested. I think that's one you just find like the top 15 of or top 10 right. of and just like watch those. You watch the pilot, you watch the top 10, you get watch the finale. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Because I don't think it like changes much story storyline wise from episode to episode. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. All right, Jordan, you ready to get into this? Yeah, let's do it. Here is the IMDb summary for the ghost of Sierra de Cobre. Terrified of being buried alive by mistake, a woman puts a phone in her crypt to be able to call home if she needs help. She dies and nothing happens. (laughs) One day, the phone suddenly rings. Paranormal investigator Nelson Orion, bracket, Martin Landau and bracket, is brought in. That's too much. (laughs) that's too much i would say it both doesn't really cover what the movie's about (laughs) and is very long like all you need to say is paranormal investigator investigates possible mother ghost to phones yeah spooky Spooky phone phone call call. (laughs) yeah that's right um so this starts off with some truly great optically printed transitions for the title card like this blew my mind right off the top wasn't of this. this great i was kind of blown away by how good this looked because we start on it's a graveyard right with like a very creepy uh, moaning from this woman yeah it's like a beautifully done matte painting it's all foggy and spooky graveyard and then the camera kind of pushes in on the graveyard and then the entire graveyard fades into an overhead of a city and the tombstones transition to becoming skyscrapers so it's just like a perfect transition between graveyard into the cityscape where the tombstones are now skyscrapers. You get the title card, and then the entire city is washed away by a wave that, like, like a tsunami runs over the entire city, and that transitions us into Martin Landau standing on a beach. And I was just like, this is gorgeous. It's funny because I think you said it at the very beginning of this recording. The amount of care that is put into this is kind of startling, at least based on the other sort of failed TV pilots we've seen before. And it's like, there's no real reason for any of these other than to set the tone really and and establish where you are. But it's like, wow, what a great way of doing that. And we're into it, you know? Yeah, what I like too is, and this is very maybe more esoteric than our our podcast usually needs to do. (laughs) But what I liked is it's like that opening shot of the graveyard is very kind of like gothic horror, like very like, woman in the black dress or something very gothic feeling but that transition from the graveyard into like the cityscape is just like oh it's going to be a very urban version of gothic like i I was just like i'm really into what this is setting up it's a good opening and it's creepy and it the the woman kind of uh, uh moaning the whole time never stops i should say the opening of the pilot the shorter tv version it's mostly this but they've cut it down a little bit and i think to the detriment of uh of the shorter version it's it's not quite as stylized well and i think obviously this must have been the intention since uh, on the tv version the title of the film was replaced by the haunted this must have the intention must have been this is going to be the opening credit for every episode it's just like graveyard city beach yeah but the story proper starts out at the spooky old mandor mansion Mm Hmm. oh classic mandor mansion Good good alliteration. Mm-hmm. Henry Mandor is the blind heir to the Mandor fortune. 
<laughs> the blind air, yes. <laughs> yeah, I said the blind hair, but the blind air, yes. Uh, what, what do you think of this guy's blind acting? Oh, he's a no. He's a rabbit, right? He's a big rabbit. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it is very funny. He's he's actually weirdly a minor character in the episode in some ways. Like the story mm-hmm. centered around him, but he has little to do. It's really weird because they've made the character blind. They like kind of don't use him because he's I don't know. Are they treating his disability like he can't do anything? <laughs> I think that is kind of what it is. They're like, well, he's blind. There's no real reason for him to be blind other than they don't really want him to be an active participant too much as as opposed to just reacting to these phone calls, which is what we're going to see in this next scene. But for the rest of the movie, he's sort of treated as, uh, for lack of a better word, a sort of invalid who needs to be led around, who sort of can't do much other than react. But that is what we're going to see in this next scene is that we kind of get this long shot of... um, this uh, telephone cable that goes all the way to his room. Is that what we see now? Yeah, I mean, you're basically right. That is that is kind of like the, the there's a cable running from his room to this crypt where his mother's kept. I just wanted to talk quickly about uh, Henry because you mentioned like this idea that you is in the sh- uh, pilot is he's kind of an invalid. He's kind of left at home. But when they're kind of introducing him, like he's obviously this potentially wealthy heir, although apparently his family fortune is basically all that's left is the huge property he lives on that's just worth like $7.25 million. Yeah, it's not bad. What a time when that was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd still take $7.2 million, Luke. Absolutely. But they also talk about how he's traveled the entire world and well blind. So like, there's this indication that he's actually very able, but it's just so weird that they've left him to the side. Yeah. Doesn't he say, though, he's like, he's like, yeah, my traveling days are done, though. So he I, does. I, I wasn't sure if they were implying that the blindness is a new thing no because his wife who we're gonna meet in a second she even says she's like he saw the whole world oh well i guess that's not right because he's blind so i guess he likes her <laughs> oh, the whole right. world <laughs> it's like oh he's he's really good at sightseeing just kidding uh but yes his wife uh vivia is returning home from three weeks in new york city attending to i guess a bunch of charity donations that henry's late mother made uh in her will mm-hmm. and Returning home, she finds Henry freaking out because, as you mentioned, this phone calls have been coming in every night from his dead mother. And like every time he picks up the phone, there's a direct line to this to this crypt where his mom's buried. And all he gets when he picks up the phone is just a woman weeping. He's assuming it's his mother. He's not quite sure, but all the information he has sort of adds up. It's the phone goes to his mother's (laughs) coffin. There's a woman screaming. She did say, please put the phone by me. So he's sort of adding up that, like, that must be my mother calling me. But he doesn't know why. It's like she's torturing him for some reason, why she Mm -hmm. keeps calling. And she's been dead about a year. And the reason this direct line was put into her crypt, which is the funniest thing I've ever heard of. Like, I've I've never seen a premise like this before. And it made me laugh every time I saw a phone line into a crypt. Mm -hmm. But the idea was when she was a kid... She got lost or trapped inside the family mausoleum. And since then, she's had a deadly fear of being buried alive. So her like last will and testament was just like, you got to run a phone line from my crypt to my son's bedroom so I can call if I need help. And you have to leave my coffin lid open so I can grab that phone. This is not spoiling anything from later, but maybe in the next, uh, uh, in terms of the time of the movie, in the next 10 minutes or so, we're actually going to see the other end of the line and see the coffin. And it is that it's an open casket with a skeleton in it <laughs> you know it's just like oh that's that can't be sanitary <laughs> um and she makes matters worse just before these phone calls started and just after vivia henry's wife left the entire house staff of their mansion quit on the same day 
And then the next day, a strange new housekeeper showed up to say she's here to take care of him. A woman named Pauline. Yeah, Paulina. Paulina, you're correct. There's this uh, uh, idea there. She's sort of um, uh, mysterious and ethereal, and you're not quite sure. She's always kind of shrouded in black and seems like she's in the shadows, and she's always peeking around corners. And you, you know right off the bat there's something uh, something hinky here. Yeah, I mean, she's got a real uh, Nosferatu haircut. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she sort of walks in when uh, she, when Henry's telling Vivia all about her, her his time while she was away. And as soon as Vivia sees her, she starts freaking the fuck out. Hard cut. This is where our hero, Martin Landau, playing Nelson Orion, enters the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anyone who's listened to previous episodes of the podcast, again, I'll, I'll refer to this as our trilogy of paranormal investigators. And one thing I like is that all paranormal investigators have to have a day job. It is true. So his name is Nelson Orion, and he is some sort of architect. They they say at one point, I wrote it down, that he's the foremost restoration specialist in the country. So he designs buildings or something like that. He restores buildings. And then in, uh, what was that one with Leonard Nimoy? Oh, uh, the race car driver one. Yeah. It's, uh, baffled. Baffled. So. Point. So a yeah, baffled exclamation point. He was a race car driver who was a paranormal investigator at night. And then the other one was Spectre. And he was like a former detective, I think. They were former criminologists, I think. Yeah. And now he's also a paranormal investigator. So I just like that there's this idea that you want to have that as a lead character. But to make it believable, they have to be paying the bills somehow. I mean, it's one of those occupations. There's a lot of different ways into it. You can take a lot of different school paths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of transferable skills. Yes, uh, he's he's a very successful architect. He even has an employee who midway through the movie will drop by a gentleman named Mr. Sloan, who, fun fact, was previously in Gemini Man, though I didn't recognize him. Oh, I didn't either. Who Who was he in Gemini Man? Just I someone? I think he was, he was in that episode where there were two Gemini Men. Oh, okay. Where there were two Gemini anyway. Yeah, yeah, that was a bad episode. Yeah, he's the one who kind of uh, tells us that he's the world's foremost or the country's foremost restoration expert. And at some point he says, and you're almost a great architect. This guy really like disapproves of his like side gig. What I like is this guy seems to always just show up in a, in a convertible. There's at least three scenes where he just shows up like, like, hey, check out my car. Yeah, he was great because he only shows up to be like, don't forget you're an architect. Like he's constantly co- he's constantly being like, Listen, we have a meeting with the city council about saving a heritage building. You really need to be ready for it. And Martin Elendo's like, did I tell you about ghosts? And I like that this guy's supposed to be his employee, but like could not talk down to his own boss more. <laughs> yeah, I, it actually was, it wasn't entirely clear what their relationship was, but I do like that the guy's whole role seems to be just trying to keep uh, Orion on schedule. You know what is fun too, Jordan? I've never seen. Well, I don't know if I've never seen it, but I, I it's really stood out to me. Is there's an entire kind of like patch of dialogue right off the top because we know his name is Nelson Orion, where Vivia is trying to write him a check, and she's like, "Well, let me write you a check here, Orion." Uh, o apostrophe R Y A N. He's like, "No, Orion, like the constellation." Hmm. <laughs> it never occurred to me, but I'm like, I guess yeah, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know how that's spelled unless someone says it out loud to you. <laughs> It is a weird name, uh, Nelson Orion. The show should okay. just be called Orion. The Orion Files. The Orion Factor. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll get back on track. But yes, he's his side gig, his hobby gig is he is a he's a paranormal investigator, or a, as he says, I think his his official term is psychical consultant. <laughs> psychical? They constantly refer to things as psychical events. That's funny. Well, he's a psychical investigator. 
And he appears to have gotten into this because, as we know, he's a man who restores heritage homes because he's a archi- uh, an architect of some sort. He's the and foremost in- restoration specialist in the country. There you go. And in that job, it has resulted him encountering a lot of hauntings, which appears to be why he has these uh, psychical abilities. Does he have abilities, though, or is it just that he's he's very in tune with what's happening? That's what it is. I think he's encountered so many of them, he can sense when he's in in a place with an actual supernatural event and when he's not. But he's also come across a lot of instances where people have called him and it's clearly a hoax. So it seems like his first instance is to assume that something's a hoax and he has to kind of prove it's not. Yeah, he seems to primarily be like, I think he seems to be a skeptic, but he also knows what is real when he when he bumps into it. And have we mentioned that he has a, what would you call it, housekeeper, I suppose? Yes, Mary Finch, who works at his, um, what, what would you call that, a beach cliffside house? It's the weirdest thing because they've done like a matte painting of this what would be from the 60s, a very modern house structure that's right on the edge of the cliff, not even just on the edge of the cliff, it's actually hanging off the cliff, uh, which is a really cool looking kind of headquarters base. I don't know why there's no real reason for it, but uh, but it looks cool. It's like the bad guy's house in Lethal Weapon, basically. <laughs> it, it actually does look more like a villain's uh, lair than it does uh, a good guy's uh, headquarters, but regardless. Sorry, you were excited to talk about his housekeeper, Mary Finch. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say the housekeeper, uh, she's sort of like, I think they were positioning her to be sort of Watson to Holmes in this sort of the uh, just someone to always be bouncing the ideas off of. And she's a real skeptic of ghosts, despite working for him for seemingly years. Yeah, she's a real sassy scully to his molder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she doesn't have much play in this. But yeah, you're right. She's kind of like there for him to bounce ideas off of, which is a useful tool for a TV show. But um, we probably won't end up talking about her very much. No, I mean, there's only really, I think, one major scene about three quarters through the movie where he sits down and just like literally just explains everything that's happening. And she's like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, but we'll get back to kind of the plot of this movie is Blind Henry has asked his wife, Vivia, to hire Orion to investigate the case of his mother, his dead mother's phone calls. Um, so they uh, end up meeting up at the old family mausoleum in, in the <laughs> middle of the night, As which you is do, a funny yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where also... Just in case we weren't sure that housekeeper was no good, uh, Paulina, she's just skulking around the graveyard the whole time. At first, I was like, is she a ghost? What is happening? Because that's how she was acting. She was acting like a sketchy ghost. It's true. But what we kind of learn is both Vivia and Orion are skeptical that the phone calls are actually a genuine haunting. But they head into this expansive Mandor mausoleum, the family mausoleum. And like, this mausoleum is gigantic. Yeah, it's it's actually one thing I think they cut a little bit for the shorter version of this because it seems like just walking down this mausoleum takes forever. There's hallway after hallway and like dissolve into another room and dissolve into another room. I was like, how big is this place? Yeah, it seems huge. And there is like some sort of like POV of a ghost wandering the halls, wa- wailing the whole time. And uh, I should say it now, what is the effect they use on the ghost? Because we're going to see the ghost a couple times and it I don't know how to describe what the ghost's face looks like. Yeah, that's it. I, I can probably get into that. Yeah, because kind of what happens is they end up in the mother's crypt where they, we get to see the phone, we get to see the decomposed mother. And at first, an invisible version of the ghost, it's all wind and wailing, like spooks them. It blows open a door and Orion's able to, I guess, calm its nerves with his psychical calming presence. I suppose, yeah. 
But when they go to leave the mausoleum, Vivia, the wife's like, ah, left my purse in the crypt. Got to go back for it. Yeah, I like that. And she's like, and he's like, are you, do you want me to come with you? She's like, no, I need to prove that, like, I'm not scared because I don't believe in this. I was like, that's a big mistake. Yeah. And so when she goes to get her purse, the ghost actually manifests this time. And you're right. It's an interesting effect. And I think what it is, is they've taken an actor. They've done up all this kind of makeup on that actor. And then they've when they shoot them on film, they've never they've left it in negative. Mm. So you're looking at a reverse image. But how they've painted her up is to kind of make her look, I don't know, I guess the correct like inverse colors. But like as a result, it gives this like really creepy effect where she's sort of in negative, sort of not negative, but she doesn't fit the space around her. It doesn't look like it's this is technology from 1965 or so. So in some ways, it looks a little bit hokey. But another way, I think in some ways, in an effective look like it doesn't you're still like, oh, that looks weird. So I was on board. I also was just like, you know, everything from 50, 60 years ago now is going to look a little uh, a little dated to us. But like, clearly, the effect and the idea behind it was at least uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so this ghost doesn't really do much other than kind of freak her out. Yeah. Um, and like, we don't get to know much. It's just it just kind of see the ghost. We know it's menacing her. And then old Orion busts back in and rescues her. And he hauls her back to his cliffside beach house where she's uh, spends the night, I guess, so she can get over her fright. Yeah, I, this part I was confused because what I thought happened was he brought her back to the house that they were essentially at and he stayed the night. And I was like, oh, that's presumptuous. But he brought her back all the way to his place. I'm like, didn't she live like on the property that she just fainted on? I'm not sure if the mausoleum's on the property or across oh, see, town. I thought it was on the same property. Maybe that makes more sense then. You know what? They never give a real explanation for that because they keep saying the Mandor estate is huge. So why isn't the mausoleum on the property? <laughs> Either way, she spends the night, but they make sure to let you know that nothing funny happened because they're in two different rooms. Yeah, nothing untoward. She's a married woman, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, but while Vivia's at Orion's place, she notices... a. a, a painting on the wall it's a it's a painting of the mission of de, de sierra de corbre uh it's a place that orion once was asked to come and investigate a, a haunting and the murder of an american school teacher by the ghost there mm-hmm. but it is also a place what like we've said he is skeptical he, he doesn't fall into ghosts easily and he when he was brought to this town in mexico to investigate this ghost and this murder he discovered or i guess believed that the haunting was entirely a hoax and that the school teacher had died as a result of um ODing on a hallucinogenic drug well at the at the mission uh, and he felt that the people of that town had created the ghost more as a tourist trap than mm. it, as an actual haunting yeah but because the ghost of uh, of sierra de madre was described as a bleeding ghost and the ghost we saw is also described as a bleeding ghost. We know there's some sort of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things you just have to kind of forgive that you know there's going to be some sort of connection just because I think as viewers of TV, because you've seen these things so many times, you're a little bit more savvy. And we know that there's no way this is a coincidence. Like, why would they ever mention this? But regardless, I think it's, you know, you, you I think you're you're still interested in what's going to be happening. And they, they, they tease out some of this information over the course of the episode. Uh, you know, we're kind of paraphrasing here. But they return to the to the Mandor estate to see Henry. 
Orion kind of explains to him he's pretty sure these phone calls are a hoax. He doesn't believe his mother is is a ghost that's coming out of that crypt and using the phone. Which I, what I like too is at some point someone's just like, how can how can this rotted body use a phone? And he's just like, well, scientific theory says ghosts are their own physical entities. And I was like, what scientific theory? <laughs> well, and there's there's a speech he gives, and and if if you'll indulge me for a minute, it's my favorite chunk of dialogue, and I think it explains this kind of style of this. And he says, and I wrote it down, when they're talking about ghosts and he's trying to explain that, you know, ghosts could exist, he goes, supernaturally or otherwise, we are all haunted. Anyone who lived in this past century, this last week, cannot escape being haunted. For some of us, it's a mass haunting, an all-pervading specter of guilt and futility or alienation that we suffer collectively. For others, the haunting is more private, more terrible because the ghosts are ours alone and we recognize them. Sometimes it takes so little to free ourselves of our ghost. And if my believing in another man's haunting helps to free him, does it matter whether science causes agony hallucinatory or real? I also enjoyed that speech. It was almost like a, a Shakespearean sort of like a soliloquy. And I was like, wow, in the middle of the show? It really, it was really a, uh, I felt it was this great way of being like anyone who lives in the modern world, they're haunted, whether by a ghost or by our own physical construct. I'm like, okay, cool. I know. I, I imagine you're listening to someone talk that way. You're like, okay, convince me. <laughs> but this is kind of this is the kind of talk he gives to Henry now. Is just like I believe in ghosts. I think they're real, but I don't think there's one affecting you currently. And Henry does not want to hear that because madness runs in his family, and the alternative means he's losing his mind. And to kind of back him up, Henry, that is the new maid, Paulina. She she's been she's brought in and. Turns out she is from Sierra de Corbre, and she's she accuses Orion of being a charlatan. She knows for a fact there was a real ghost in that mission because her own daughter was splashed with its blood. And so there's this kind of like back and forth of like, does Henry trust Orion or does Henry trust this creepy new housekeeper? Yeah, that was an odd turn because she sort of gets very aggressive and was like, and you're the reason to like, you shouldn't hire this guy. He's a charlatan. And, and he was just there to like ruin the local economy and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's weird and even more of a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, this is where you can kind of see it's like, oh, this is a real coincidence that Sierra de Cobra keeps coming up. And kind of while they're having this conversation to Henry in this room, at that exact moment, there's like a, a window side seat, like a bench that sort of has a storage compartment in it, but it's been locked down for years. It starts shaking and banging like someone's trapped inside. And it causes Vivia to have to leave the room because she's so freaked out. And even Orion has to admit... He's just like, I don't believe your mother is calling you, but uh, that that right now, that was definitely psychical. I can guarantee it. <laughs> that was definitely psychical. It's clear he believes in ghosts, and he's actually pointing out things that are true. Like, he's seen ghosts. Ghosts have happened. There are, like, weird supernatural things happening. But he's also being like, you're not being haunted by a ghost. So I, I, it was an interesting dichotomy of just, like, literally, we're having a character be like, it's a hoax. Well, there are actual haunting things he's saying. Well, that is actually a haunting right now. <laughs> It's like going to a room, you're like, not a ghost, not a ghost, that's a ghost, not a ghost, not a ghost, that's a ghost. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it was. It was, yeah. I have never seen that in a plot for a ghost. Usually, you know, you're either like, there are ghosts or there aren't ghosts. I've never seen one that was like, some things are ghosts, some things aren't. They could be happening at any moment. They should just have, they had a scene where like, he's just sitting reading a book with someone else. And then every time they hear a creak, they look over to him. And he's like, not a ghost, not a ghost. He's like, yep, that one, that one was that a ghost. That one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you know, there's this sort of, it lays down kind of a mystery of like, what's really going on if there are some ghosts and some not. And as he's going to leave the house, he he kind of spies on old Vivian Paulina, the housekeeper. And as he spies on them, Paulina's like giving her this like strange little potion that's a tranquilizer to calm Vivian's nerves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paulina's like talking to her and trying to calm her down. And Vivian's sort of admitting to locking someone up in somewhere alive I- indicating that maybe she is responsible for the death of the mother like they're, they're they really lay down a lot of red herrings in this like little scene of like what is really going on vivi mm-hmm. is not telling us something well you know that something's weird's happening and that these two are probably in cahoots in some way mm-hmm, exactly um so orion basically returns to his beach house and uh we get one of the most random scenes possible in the middle of this movie is he heads down to his, his beach uh, his housekeeper, Mary Fitch, is sitting in a beach chair fishing in the ocean for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And there is just a random young blonde woman, like, sunbathing nearby. Yeah, what was this? I don't know, because basically o- uh, Orion walks up to her and he's like, hey, how's it going? She's like, good. He's like, you want to go on a date to a haunted house? She's like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. It was the craziest scene where he, just a woman there, the two of them start chatting for no reason. She's into him. He's into her. She really loves the idea of being invited to a haunted house on a date next Friday. And he's like, all right, I'll pick you up here on the beach Friday night. She's like, on this beach right here on Friday night, I will come back here. And she's like, yes, please return to this beach. Why do you think this scene was put in? Uh, the only thing I could think was there was a worry that it's going to look like he was having an affair with the wife so they stuck in another possible love interest to show that he wasn't interested otherwise i can't figure out why this scene was in and even then it's clumsy at best well and i kept thinking because when he's inviting her to this haunted house on friday because he's got a dinner there but it's also an investigation and you can be my date i thought it was somehow going to tie into the mandor case but it is he's referring to a different case he's going to work later so it never comes back up honestly the only thing i can figure out is I, i it just felt like somewhere a note someplace was just like oh you got we got to know this guy's a ladies man we got <laughs> oh right yeah yeah maybe like that's the time on television where like if your hero's not a ladies man what what is he why are we watching which is even funnier because like it's not like martin lando's like necessarily like a typical handsome man so watching him like ask this woman out is it, it just it, it's equally funny because it just doesn't really make sense <laughs> yeah my, my note was he finds some blonde at the beach he asks her out what is happening and because that's it. If the scene's just over, and I'm pretty sure this has been cut out from the uh, the shorter version too, which you can do easily, and there's no effect. Yeah, it's unrelated to anything. I, honestly, I do feel like this was probably shot for the TV show more than anything to like be like, we got it. We got to let everyone know, ladies, man. <laughs> Anyways, he goes back, and I think this is the scene where he lights candles for like ten minutes. Yeah, this is basically it. He goes back up uh, to his house and like. And as you mentioned, too, it's also the scene where he breaks everything down for his uh, housekeeper, Mary Finch. Essentially, he lets us and her know that the ghost is not using the phone. That's a hoax because, quote, no self-respecting ghost would use the devil's invention. (laughs) I love that. I thought that was so good. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. That's it. You can't argue that. (laughs) You really can. So phone calls, not ghost. Number two, (laughs) the mother died of natural causes. No reason to be a ghost. So mother is not the ghost. Point three, the only time actual psychical events have happened, actual ghost sightings have happened, there's only one participant who's been consistent, and that's Vivia. She's the only one who's actually being haunted. Mm-hmm. 
So what we come to learn basically in this scene is just like, there is a haunting going on, but it's not Henry who's being haunted. It's Vivia. Right. And I think, is this where we see uh, that does like a close up of the painting and there's like a, the, the ghost starts uh, uh, manifesting? Well, there's, yeah, they do. He takes the painting down and there's like, just like, they look at the painting and they do like a weird wavy effect over the painting. Like, ooh, what does this painting have to do with anything? And then he, I think he pulls out, uh, he pulls out a book on the Sierra de Cabre. And I was like, is this a book researching that? Or did he write a book? What is the point of that? I also thought it was, I was, my subject also was like, this is a book he wrote about the case. That's what I thought. I'm like, he had a lot to say. It's a pretty thick book. <laughs> but while he's kind of doing this, surprisingly at this moment, basically Henry, Vivia, and housekeeper Paulina all drop by his house at the same time. Yeah, the door sort of swings open and they're there. I, I guess basically Henry had Paulina drive with him out there because he's there to tell Orion that he's completely convinced now that his mother is haunting him. So he's going to sell his entire state and just run away. But not only that, he's he's there to thank Orion for proving it to him. And I remember I, th- I thought, I don't know if he has proven that like for henry it's like yeah case closed i was like but he hasn't really done anything yet well and orion has been very stick clear in stating your mother's not on <laughs> right right but this guy wants to pay him yeah he just wants to pay him some money and get this over with and it's at this point that basically orion just turns to vivian and says hey you gotta come clean you gotta tell us what's really going on here because you're the one who's really being haunted and mm-hmm. Vivia basically gives a breakdown of what's really been going on here. Like, this is all too much for her. So she kind of explains that she, in fact, also grew up in Sierra de Cobre. Her and her mother uh, sort of scammed tourists there by feeding them ayahuasca and then leading them on tours of the mission, which is where the reputation for this ghost came from. Is they would basically get tourists, they'd have them trip balls, take them into spooky corridors. And, uh, you know, that was their tourist trade, basically. Yeah, so people thought they were seeing things because they were high as a kite, and uh, then they'd get money off of it. Yeah, and one day, this American school teacher showed up, and they dosed her, but she had a high tolerance for the drug, so when it didn't work, she started getting pissed off with the tour guides, apparently. So this uh, Vivia's mother uh, upped her dosage, but it was too much ayahuasca, so the teacher went insane, and they just locked her inside of a tomb and left her there to die because she had lost her mind on drugs. Yeah. So that's what happened. So there never was a ghost, just uh, a lady locked in a tomb uh, tripping out real hard. Yeah. Yeah. What is really happening now is that school teacher's back. She's haunting Vivia because she wants justice for her murder. Yeah, I guess that's so that's what we've realized that this ghost the whole time is the school teacher who has wants revenge or something or i don't know something and if you haven't deduced it yet uh paulina the housekeeper henry's new housekeeper who showed up out of the middle of nowhere she is in fact vivia's mother yeah so it's been the whole like some sort of scam but th- we w- even from the beginning we got the sense that vivia or vivia whatever her name is didn't realize her mother was going to show up yeah it's it, this is a little bit nebulous here but what we kind of learned from vivia here is um her mother showed up out of the blue after years of estrangement. Like, she really hated her mother. Um, somehow she found out about the marriage. And I'm not sure how, because it's been a year since the mother died, but maybe she read it in the paper or something. But anyway, she's shown up. She paid off the house staff to leave so that she could move in and start gaslighting Henry. And she's basically there because she wants a piece of that Mandor fortune. She wants some of her uh, daughter's good luck here. Do you think, because there's an interesting difference in the two versions uh, as we go into the last act of this movie, do you think that Vivia was always just trying to get Henry's fortune? Or do you think it was sort of like a, 
there was a little bit of contractual. She knew she was going to get something out of it, but she still did love him, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, yeah, I think my my opinion was that Vivian married him for the correct reasons, but, like, it was also just a bonus for a person who grew up poor to, like, now be wealthy. Right. Um, and that the mother showed up out of the blue and kind of, she's been tranking her the whole time. Like, her mother has a very forceful personality, and she basically fell into this, like, classic servitude to her mother when she, from like when she was a child i think is what we're supposed to think right and they mentioned a few times to like uh, uh paulina they're like she gets whatever she wants i was like oh, okay yeah okay cool yeah <laughs> it is that question like why did paulina show up now and there's also the question of just like why did the ghost show up now mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's all sort of like if once you start breaking it down you're like i i know it's supposed to be coincidental but I'm like maybe it's a little too coincidental that all this stuff's happening at once but regardless yeah, maybe the ghost followed the mother up from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But doesn't seem to be haunting the mother, just Vivia. Anyway, um, Paulina, the housekeeper slash mother, has been waiting outside in uh, Henry's car. Or, yeah, in Henry's car the whole time. She wasn't allowed inside the house because she's the help. <laughs> and there's this quick scene where, like, the school teacher ghost, like, goes into the car and, like, throws the car to neutral and tries to, like, drive it off the side of the cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, uh, old Orion, like, runs out and, like, tries holding it. And I like that he just, like, gets dragged for a while. And I think what you're supposed to get from the scene is that he stopped it. But it looks like the car just stopped on its own and he was just dragged along. Yeah, like, it is, he is essentially, like, grabbing a window pane of the car and dragging his heels as if that's somehow going to stop the moving car. And it doesn't seem like it's going to. So I also wonder, I'm like, are we supposed to think that, like, he used his psychical presence to calm the ghost to stop it? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Either way, it stops just before it goes over the edge. So at this point, basically, he's got everything. Orion's got everything out in the open. Uh, Henry knows everything that's happened. Uh, Vivia is guilty by proxy of a murder. Paulina is her mother, who is perhaps more guilty of this murder. And Henry's just like, listen, you guys, I can't I can't deal with any of this. Housekeeper Mary Finch, take me home. I'm done here. <laughs> yeah, this we're over. He's like, guys, I'm blind. Uh, I need help take me home <laughs> take me home and vivia at this point is she's she it's all in the open she's broken down she's like listen just take me to the cops i want to be punished i want to satisfy satisfy this ghost's revenge let's just get this over with um but her mother paulina uh, she's not down with that she gets her she always gets her way so she grabs a knife and she's just gonna stab orion to death <laughs> what i like though she gets the knife from upstairs and she has to come all the way downstairs and then and then she goes over to Orion to stab him. And but just at that moment where she's going to stab Orion, the old uh, uh, school teacher ghost shows up. Yeah, it bursts right out of that painting mm-hmm. like the Kool-Aid man just like pops <laughs> right out of it. As ghosts do. Floats on over and compels Paulina to stab herself to death. Yeah, it's sort of like she has the knife in the air and the ghost makes it look like it's like, oh, yeah, you think you're going to stab someone? And then she stabs herself. One stab, she's dead. And again, let me mention, almost at this point is where the other, the TV pilot ends, but the movie extends for another 15 minutes or so. Yeah, Vivia is uh, now standing over her mother's body with Orion. The ghost fades away and, you know, Vivia is pretty broken down. She just asks Orion, please put my mom's body in the car. I'm going to drive to the cops, turn myself in, and end this. And just like, I'm, t- I'm tired of all the lying. Just let's, let's go. Um, but before Vivia can drive away, she's got her mother's body in the car. She's going to head out to the cops. It's a bit of a back and forth. Like, there's this weird thing where she almost drives away and then doesn't drive away. But really, the, the meat of the scene is her mother's ghost appears in the car with her, basically threatening her with another bottle of tranquilizer like take your tranquilizer like she always did as i guess a living spirit and vivia freaks out 
throws the car into drive and uh, drives straight off the beachside cliff next to Orion's house. Yeah, and just flips the car and just smashes into the, the rocks on the bottom of the beach. I mean, it's a very fun scene where an actual car gets driven off a cliff. Yeah, yeah no, it looks good. And, and you're left thinking, she didn't make it. She, yeah, she is dead. Her car is flipped upside down in the ocean currently. And the movie kind of ends with Orion and Neri Finch the maid. They're standing on the cliffside, just staring down at the wreckage. They're not moving. They're not trying to help. They're just like, well, if she's still alive, uh, not for long. And <laughs> as they're sort of like staring down at the like remains of this woman's wrecked car, <laughs> Orion's employee from the architecture firm, uh, Mr. Sloan, pulls up. He's like, hey, Orion, we got to get to that city council meeting. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then she's like, "Well, uh, the 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 housekeeper's like, well, I guess we'll just have breakfast first. And they go off, and then Orion just kind of like stares off to the distance, and that's it. Yeah, it just ends. He's got to get back to work. It's the end of this case. And, and can I mention right here, Luke, that the slight difference in the other version? Well, let's let's actually let's uh let's get into final notes then. Like, okay. do you have anything left to like? That's kind of the end of this episode is or the TV movie is. She's dead. The case is wrapped up. All ghosts are satisfied, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, all ghosts are, oh, oh, that was a better title, All Ghosts Are Satisfied. And Orion's got a city council meeting to get to. As, as you do, and that's it. So, I mean, I don't think I have anything other. I think we covered it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of where it ends. But yeah, look, this is actually a good time. Let, let us actually talk about the differences between this sort of film version that was released and the, the, the pilot version, The Haunted, that is available on this DVD, the, the I guess, 48-minute cut of it. Well, I think the most clear major difference is this last act, where, as I mentioned earlier, after um, Pauline is forced to stab herself, what is different in the haunting, that's what it's called, right? The haunting? The haunted. The haunted, excuse me. The uh, Vivia comes over and sort of gives this uh, speech about her mother and she loves her and blah, blah, blah. And she gets up, opens the door, and old uh, blind boy's there. And he's like, I forgive you. And she sort of goes and hugs him and they go off like they kind of like right off into the sunset and then and then we kind of cut to the very end the same sort of thing uh what's his face goes off to uh orion goes to look at the beach but you'll notice there's no car there now and the same sort of thing happens the other guy that works at the company comes by and he's like let's go to the meeting and stuff so it was just they cut out that whole sequence of vivia also being punished they sort of gave a slightly happier ending yeah i mean that's sort of exactly it like it it's the same up to the point where she's just like i'm gonna take myself to the cops and turn myself in now open the door and Henry's come back and he's like, I still love you. Let's have a happy ending instead. So that is really the big difference. Like the movie's a tragedy. The TV show is kind of a happier ending. Mm-hmm. And what did you think of the two endings? What did you prefer? I mean, there's obviously it's an extra beat. Like it's like the movie version is you think the the ultimate action is going to be this woman stabbing herself. And they're like, nope, we got one more thing. But uh, what did you think between the two? I, I mean, I prefer the movie ending. I actually think it is a better ending and makes more sense. Like, uh, honestly, the happy ending seemed very tacked on to the TV show. It did feel more like the, it just stopped. They're like, I don't know. It's got to end somewhere. I agree. I think it's better that everyone kind of gets punished. <laughs> um, and then I don't know what else you noticed about uh, differences. But, like, one thing I did notice is there's less... The scary beats are, are toned down a bit. Like, when they go to the mother's coffin in the movie version... Vivia throws open the coffin and there's like a cutaway into the coffin. You see like a decomposed skeleton Mm -hmm. corpse inside of the mother. And she's like, do you think this thing could lift a phone? Whereas in the TV show, there's no cutaway to the actual, I mean, quote unquote, gory shot of the mother. I like that, that shot. I, I, of watching the two versions, I do prefer the longer version. However, I think there's a tightness to the, the pilot version, the, the whatever hour version that, 
maybe is a little bit more watchable, but I think it does lose some of the more atmospheric elements that clearly were desired for this. And I think it does make an inch, like we've mentioned, like it looks really good and it's got this real feel to it with all these sort of scenes, but it does sort of drag a little bit. There's a little bit of extra padding that you can feel onto it, but I didn't really mind. Yeah, and I mean, that the other big difference I noticed was just a slight reordering of the opening. That's right. It's a bit like what we see in this is we see a title sequence, we get to kind of sort of meet Martin Lando's character, and then we kind of get the setup to the plot of the movie. Whereas in the TV show version, which makes a lot more sense to me when I saw it in the version, is, is that whole scene with meeting Henry and meeting Vivian, meeting Paulina, that's the cold open, basically. And then you kind of get an opening title sequence, which after watching that, I'm just like, oh, that restructure makes a lot more sense to me watching how it looks. It did feel awkward in the film version, but mm-hmm. now I'm just, I made perfect sense when I watched it. I'm like, right, that was the cold open. And then like it started like a proper TV show. Yeah, it, it did have a little bit of a weird stutter start. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's the ghost of Sierra de Cobre. Yeah, I mean, those are those are, seem to be the big differences to me anyway, I noticed between the two. So, Jordan. Everything I read uh, proposed this as uh, an anthology show along the lines of Outer Limits or Twilight Zone or something. Um, I have some questions about that, but like, what do you think an average episode of the show is going to be? I read that it, they were really trying to um, be a competition for both the Outer Limits and um, what's that one called? Um, Twilight Zone? Twilight Zone. Those two ones I just said? Those two. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the two ones you just said that I forgot immediately. They wanted it sort of to be that thing. So I think it's, you know, obviously there's a haunting every week. Uh, What would be interesting, though, is are they just hauntings in his area? Because they seem to really want to establish his house as this base of operations. But I also got the sense that he's going to be wanting to go all over the world. That's the one thing I noticed, too, and that I actually think was going to be the average episode. I don't think it's an anthology show. I think they're misusing the term here because I do think Martin Lando's character is going to be in every episode leading the investigation because they introduce him and Mary Finch and Mr. Sloan is sort of like, they feel more like regulars to me than I think so too. There's going to be a new episode next week and it's all new characters. I think it's a ghost of the week. Yeah. So I think that's, I I, I think that's the series as well. It's just weird. Everything I kept reading was like, it's like the Twilight Zone. I'm like, but that's not like the Twilight Zone. That's like Nightmare Cafe. Yeah, I don't think it's like the Twilight Zone. I think what people mean is in terms of the level of spookiness and how it's sort of a thriller, sort of a horror. I think it's more of the tone and less of the style of the show. Right, right, right. Yeah, not a true anthology. I think it was going to be the adventures of Nelson Orion and the spooky, spooky world he lives in. Yeah, and and some episodes he'll just be like, nope, not a ghost. It's it's just, it's Scooby-Doo, right? I think every, like, fourth episode is just an architecture episode where he has to, like, go work <laughs> on a project. There's no ghost stuff. Like, you get three episodes, all ghost stuff. It's super spooky. And then every now and then it's just, like, he goes to the office and you meet the wacky characters who work there. It just is to add the realism of how to pay bills. Yeah, every fourth episode he's like, well... You guys want more ghost adventures. This is what it takes in the world. <laughs> Just a tonally different show with a completely different cast. Yeah, these these buildings are not going to restore themselves. All right, Jordan. That, that's probably enough about this. You want to rate? You want to rate Ghost of Sierra de Cobre? Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna rate the version we watched, the hour and a half. Yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna watch the finished version. I feel like the TV. Well, the TV show is finished. I think what was truly released into the world officially was the t- was the movie version. As we said, I think this looks really good i think it has an interesting style i think he's an interesting enough character maybe not entirely developed in this and uh i think the 
overall plot was interesting. I don't know if it was entirely effectively solved. They sort of kind of they sort of set up set up set up and then solved it really quickly. But I still kind of enjoyed it. I think it was better than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Yeah, I was just like, it's not perfect. It suffers from age and like the pacing that comes with that, and kind of the way TV was structured back then. And, you know, some silly bits, but the silly bits I even found very entertaining, him picking up that woman on the beach. Yeah, it was good. Just, like, weird little side notes with Mr. Sloan coming in and constantly complaining about the architecture firm. Uh, you know, do they make a cohesive movie? Probably not, but, like, I really enjoyed them. And it looked gorgeous. I, I think maybe over the years of doing this podcast, Jordan, my metrics have been skewed and destroyed. I so, agree. This is an eight for me. No, I, I don't think you're, I don't think we're too far off each other, but you're right. It's, there's this, uh, after doing, you know, several hundred of these episodes, not several hundred, but over a hundred of these, you do get the sense of when someone seems to have really wanted something to, to make something different and interesting. And there's a level of care, even if it doesn't entirely work. And I think this falls into that category. You can tell maybe it's not always entirely effective, but the writing is, is really trying like that sort of speech I read earlier. It's like some of the writing's really good. Um, it doesn't always work, but and it looks great and the actors are good. It's just that you know it's not perfect. But man, compared to some of the stuff we we watched, where it feels like people just did it because they had to. Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard pressed to call this as a whole art, but there is an art to its making. Oh uh, yeah, there, there's there's elements of it within here. But yeah, that that wraps it up. Uh, before before we sign off for the uh, for the evening, whenever you're listening to this, maybe it's the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's now that you're listening at two a.m. Uh, we're doing a little promo swap with another podcast, the Short and Spooky Podcast. So if you stick around to the end of the episode, you'll hear from the hosts of that to tell you a little bit about it. But I I think it might be up the alley of people who listen to this because they basically watch and review. 80s anthology horror shows so they'll watch an episode of like the hitchhiker they'll watch an episode of friday the 13th so you know what um, maybe if you like this kind of thing you're listening to now you might like that kind of thing but if you stick around to the end of the episode you'll hear a little bit about it from the hosts themselves and they'll do a better job than we could ever oh absolutely we do a terrible job at our own podcast <laughs> <laughs> way to sell it way to sell it but in the meantime, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Twitter and Instagram, we're going to have some clips from this TV movie, TV pilot slash movie slash whatever it is. Uh, the, <laughs> the handle there is at continuumdrag. And that wraps it up. So thank you for joining us, listener. And Jordan, see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes. Hey, Tommy. Hey, John. Uh, do you like listening to podcasts? I love it. Uh, do you like watching spooky stuff? Oh, great. Yeah, I love it. Uh, are you still obsessed with the 80s and 90s? I Yeah, to this day. Cool. So am I. Uh, if you are, then you'll probably like our podcast called Short and Spooky. What's it about? It's all about anthology shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark, Tales from the Crypt, uh, Freddy's Nightmares. What's an anthology show mean? Uh, it's like a standalone, so you don't have to keep up with any plots or characters or anything. 
So you can just tune in. Say you're a new listener, you can just tune into an episode and not have to worry about missing out on something you didn't hear before. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Check it out.